This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. We're here for another post-game show, and uh, our streak has ended. This is the Forever Mighty post-game with Patrick and Eddie. And Eddie... It's not the outturn we wanted, or the outturn turnout that we wanted on the scoreboard. I don't know, man. I guess I'm a little uh, whirlwinded here after I flew home on the freeway. But uh, the Ducks could not pull off the victory. The comeback kids from yesteryear are not around this season. Um, they tried to pull it back in in the third period, but they fall to the red-hot Nashville Predators. who made it 10 in a row, 4-2. to two. Um we're going to get into that in a minute here, but we got to talk a little pregame as we always do, Eddie. What did you think about uh, who was scratched today? I think the, yeah. uh, the biggie. The biggie. <laughs> Marcus Pedersen scratched. JT Brown scratched. Antoine Vermette scratched. And the heartbreak about Pedersen being scratched is that means both of our aging veterans, Bieksa and Boschman, slotted back into the lineup. Uh, what, what was your take on that, Eddie? It's kind of odd when you're facing you know, the hottest team in the NHL and you've been playing so well as of late since Pedersen comes out. I mean, in, in the nine games he had played, the Ducks were 7-1-1. One, and one. and then you've got the hottest team in the NHL, arguably the best and deepest team in the National Hockey League coming. You're going in to face them on home ice. And you decide to put BX and Boschman both in the lineup who are working well as kind of spare parts here and there. It's a weird decision. I actually honestly haven't heard the explanation from Randy Carlo, which is going to be kind of interesting to hear what he has to say because it kind of just doesn't make sense. It's not like Pedersen was lighting the world on fire, but it was kind of making it so that Lindholm and Manson could play together and Fowler and Montour can play together. And when we get into the game later, you'll find out that Fowler and Montour, yeah, they play together for the entire game, but Lindholm had to split time between Manson and Bieksa, which definitely didn't help his game. And him, the pairing of him and Bieksa was awful. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but I just it made no sense to me, and I think a lot of people agree with that. I don't know. I don't know, Eddie. I feel like uh, we all know the reason why. This is a <laughs> this is a Randy Carlisle led team, a Bob Murray managed team. These guys are old school. They uh, they love that grit and sandpaper and uh, gritty sandpaper, that leadership, gritty sandpaperish yeah. thingy <laughs> that they they love in players. And this is the game that called for. This is a, a playoff matchup, obviously, with heartbreak. Um, the Ducks, obviously, a lot of bad blood between them and Nashville, Kessler and, and uh, Johansson. Obviously, they'll get into that. We can talk about that. But I just really feel like that was the move. And Carlisle's really, 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 you know, all about, hey, man, I know what I'm going to get out of these guys tonight. I know I'm going to get that, that fire out of these guys. I'm going to pull my young guy out that I don't necessarily trust 100% and put in the guys that I know that are going to give me what they've always given me. That's how I viewed it anyway. I, I felt like that's a, it's just, it was so Randy Carlisle. Yeah. I, it's, it's, 
It's tough because I don't want to feel like that's what he did. And I, I want there to be other reasons other than grit or bringing in the, the veterans to face a tough Nashville team. But I just don't see the logic behind it. I mean, we, we kept the team the same the last two games because they'd played two strong games. And then you go in after winning three in a row. And, I, I mean, the changes aren't massive. But why change what's working when you go in and, and you face a tougher opponent? I don't get it. I understand making changes based on the opponent. But I think we all kind of agreed the Ducks have been playing some pretty good hockey, barring some some third periods where they're getting caved in. And to change up the blue line at this point, the way they're all playing, especially the top four, it, it's a, such a weird decision. But it is such a Randy Carlisle decision. Like like you said, like I, you don't see anybody else doing this. And, and I'm sure there's other coaches who'd make this decision, but it has Randy Carlisle's name written all over it. Well, we'll get into some of that in a little bit. We got Fowler Montour, obviously still together. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Lindholm Manson mixed up between uh, the Bs there, between Bexer and Boschman. Kessler and Johansson is the first time back on the ice together ever since uh, that series last season. You know, the bad butt between them. You know, who you know who could like a guy like that? Who could cheer for a guy like that, as uh, Johansson famously <laughs> said. Uh, Yossi and Fiala out uh, for Nashville there. So the Ducks kind of had a, a little bit of a bright spot there with those guys being out of the lineup. And Nashville is just so rich in their lineup that they healthy scratched Kyle Turris, the guy they got in a trade before the trade deadline, just because. And now he's back. He slots back in uh, against Anaheim. So without you know further ado, let's go ahead and uh, get this first period underway. But first, we put together a little intro for you guys. Hope you like it. Some classic ducks. It may not be the best, but it is sure damn entertaining. Let's get it started, Eddie. All right, well, there's the intro. Hope you guys like it. Now we can get in to what was an eventful first period for the Ducks. It wasn't a great one. Kind of started off a bit shaky with Weber. I mean, of all people, Yannick Weber skating in uncontested to the net, and Gibson has to make a good pad save early. And this was kind of the start of things to come because right after that, not long, Smith walks in, shakes none other than Kevin Bieksa, at the blue line, and (laughs) (laughs) he wires it top corner. And, I mean, what do we expect? You know, you get Boschman and BX in the line together, and, of course, the first goal is out of mistake by Kevin Bieksa. Well, that's just kind of the way it goes when you you slot him in there. Um, It was a nice shot, though. Got to give it to Smith on the effort on that that end of things. But uh, just kind of kind of what we expected there from Bieksa. I mean, I I wasn't expecting a, uh, a, a Lindholm play on that one. Yeah, for sure, and and it kind of continues a bit from there. 
But a little bit of little bit of stuff going on between the play there with Johansson bumping shoulders with some Ducks players on his way to the bench. He, he makes a, a pass on Manson and then Getzlaff gives him a little bump. A little bit of a, a precursor of what's to come. And, and of course, right after that, you have a scrum between Richie and Batetto. So I think there's a little bit of bad blood between these teams. It's kind of a, a budding rivalry based off the last two playoff matchups. And it wasn't necessarily a nasty game, but you could tell that these two teams don't like each other. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what we expected. And you know, as much as Kessler is hated outside the Ducks locker room on the ice, um, the, the, he's loved on that team. He's yeah. a guy that that uh, he plays just through everything. Everyone knows what he's going through physically. So it's it's cool to see the uh, you know the little shots there on Johansson going back and forth on the, between the benches, and you know the team is letting him know they know he's there. Yeah, and of course, who else makes the Ducks pay on uh, not too long after that? It's Ryan Johansson with of course. the tip-in off. What was, I mean, i got to be fair. It was a beautiful backhand pass. No, it was. It by was. By Philip Forsberg, yeah. <laughs> uh, he made two very good passes in this game. And, you know, unfortunately, Geslav kind of loses his man in Johansson, who sneaks behind him and gets a tip on it. But uh, it really all starts from that play by Philip Forsberg. You know, and, and there's not much you can say about it. That was uh, there's nothing that Gibby could have done there. Um, yeah. I felt like that was just that was a puck that was meant to go in the net. It was it was quite the play by Forsberg. He had a good game, and Arvidsson got the second assist on that, and he also had a heck of a game. Um, Ryan Johansson, I, I don't want to spoil alert, but he got the uh, the always talked about, rarely occurring uh, Gordy Howe hat trick, and yeah. that that was the start of his night with this one. Yeah, and, and you know a guy we got brought up uh, on the last show was Mike Fisher. Uh, creating chances uh, right after Nashville's second goal. Yeah, they come close again as Fisher throws one in front from a bad angle, and it comes right out to a Predators player, and, and uh, the, the one-timer is just wide. So Nashville really holding all the pressure in the first period, but the Ducks got a, one chance in, in this first period. Richie takes a penalty, so Nashville goes on the power play. As you're thinking, oh, no. Naturally. Na- yeah, Nashville's going to make this 3 nothing. And, I mean, the guy who pretty much always gets the breakaways shorthanded for the Ducks is Andrew Cogliano. Gets a little bit of a half breakaway. Actually makes a good play uh, to shoulder off the Nashville Predators defenseman. But Rene, Rene stops him, and that's kind of the trend of this game. Rene was strong in this one, and, and Cogliano just really doesn't score on most of the breakaways he gets anyway. So... Unfortunately, uh, Ducks end up going down 2 nothing after this first period. And, I mean, it really just wasn't that great of a first period. I mean, it's kind of what I expected out the gate. Nashville, um, you know, they, they run that, that arena. I mean, that, they're going yeah. through um, a time period for this franchise. And there was, a, there was a time of the day where people thought that Nashville wasn't going to survive. You know, that they weren't going to have a franchise where... Um, they just weren't that team that people would come and see. And now you now you look at those games and how crazy those fans are. All the chants after they score. I remember those in the playoffs. And that's a wild barn for guys to go in and play. And it's a tough one too. And it's they're just full, they're stacked. They're full of stars. And you know, Rene's really had a resurgence this past couple of seasons. Um, and Cogliano on that last play. I mean, as much as I love that guy, nice guy, uh, super speedy. He's got skill for what ever reason mm-hmm. he needs to do like i don't know what it is i just don't I, he just doesn't have the hands i guess to get the shot away the way that he yeah. wants to make it but the amount of chances that guy has to score would just be great if he could bury 20 a year consistently yeah it, it doesn't seem like he has the finish which i can't really harp on him too much for i mean not everyone does 
yeah, he's not a guy who's going to put up 20, 30 goals in a season. Uh, unfortunately, he gets a lot of the short-handed breakaways just because of his speed and his play in the penalty kill. But, but yeah, I mean, he, to be fair, he made a, good, a pretty good play short-handed the last game and, and got a goal, so we can't yeah. really be too hard on him. But, you know, going into the second period, the Ducks were actually the first team to, to get a pretty good chance and a bad giveaway by a guy you don't really expect to give away the puck in P.K. Subban. And Mikel's in all alone on Rene, but of course, the trend of the game, Rene denies him pretty, uh, in close. And this is a guy you expect to score the way he's been playing. No, it's true. He's been on fire, and it's a rare occurrence we see PK turn the, the puck over like that. But what are you going to do with Rene and that, man? It's just the game he's been playing lately. This team is, I hate saying it because we're a, you know, a Ducks podcast, but I mean, yeah. it's hard to take any sort of credit away from this team, and, and they're getting the breaks. And it's just what happens when you're on a roll. The Ducks had plenty of uh, games like this where Gibby, the Ducks would turn over a puck and Gibby had to stand on his head and they would come out, you know, victorious. And this is the hottest team in the NHL the Ducks are walking into. And it's not like they're the best team that's playing average. Like, I mean, I'll go out and, and put my money on them against Tampa, and that's a that's a really darn close race. Um, I mean, the Preds are on fire and they're great. So just the yeah. way things would go tonight. Yeah, and it was kind of a back and forth second period because right after that, Gibson has to make two good saves off a couple of national rushes. And then Raquel, he gets a nice shot from the right circle, and Rene just gets enough with his shoulder. Uh, and really, I mean, that's the trend uh, of the period. You know, Forsberg gets on a half break. Lindholm breaks up the play nicely, which we're used to see him doing uh, on a nightly basis. And, yeah, it was just kind of back and forth. A little bit better of play than the first period about midway through the second. But still, nothing really going for the Ducks. No, but you know the great thing that's uh, that's going on in this game that should be you know a bright spot for Ducks fans is how well the Raquel Perry and Getzoff line kept playing. I yeah. mean Raquel kept getting his chances uh, as we'll talk about in the third period, and he'll, you know he continues on that scoring streak, and it's just something that it's something to, a bright spot to look at. You can't win them all, and it's just it wasn't the Ducks night. Yeah, and really the D zone coverage by Nashville at least in the first two periods and pretty much throughout the, the entire game, was just something else. I mean, That top play, four is incredible. Yeah, and, and they play the lion's share of minutes for Nashville as well. There was a stat that came up on the broadcast saying these guys average around 22, 23 minutes a night for this team, uh, and you don't really see much from Potato and Weber. It, it's really, most of the time, it's Emelin and Subban because Josie wasn't playing tonight. And then Ekholm and uh, and Ellis and I mean to think they did so well as well without Roman Yossi in the lineup just shows you how much depth and how well structured this blue line is. And to make it worse, the Ducks actually get a power place. So we thought maybe they can get one going into the third period, but Fowler misses a pass. Sissons gets a breakaway. Gibson actually makes a good save on the first chance, but uh, Austin Watson comes up with a rebound and puts it in. And really not the uh, not the, the two guys you want to give up a shorthanded goal to. No, and it's, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that one. I felt like um, Gibson probably would like that one back. Um, but when you have a chance like that going in, uh, in tight like that, there's not much, I don't know, shorthanded like that too. Maybe I'm being too hard on Gibby. I, I kind of felt like he should have had that one at that point. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like he, like I said, he did make a good save on the first one, but he kind of puts himself in a bad position by sprawling out on the ice and not really allowing himself to be in good position to make the, the second save. But it's not all on him. Uh, I mean, no, short-handed yeah. goals are lazy goals by the power play. That's just yeah. what it is. You're you're not. 
I'm not sure. I, I shouldn't have dumped on him that hard. It's my bad. But <laughs> I, I just felt like maybe he should have been in a little bit of a better position. I, I hope yeah. uh, my buddy Jason's listening this week and he can yell at me for getting after, uh, after Gibby because <laughs> he's a goalie himself. Um, but no, it, it, it's a lazy goal. Like shorthanded goals are lazy goals. Yeah, and, and it's it's on Fowler with the pass that, that ended up causing the breakaway, and it's on the back check as well, allowing Austin Watson uh, to get the rebound in. But uh, right off the face-off, and something we've kind of been waiting for, because this is actually the first time Kessler and Johansson have both been on the ice since the playoffs. Johansson, I guess he really jumps Kessler. Uh, immediately regrets that because Kessler pumps him a couple times. Uh, Johansson turtles. And then Kessler mocks him for the turtle, which was, which ended up being a great gift that we ended up putting out. But, yeah, I mean, again, we, we were talking about how we don't see Kessler fight that often. But now he's fought two guys who don't fight it really at all, and Taves and Johansson. Uh, and he's pretty much got the better of both of them. Yeah, no, I mean, good on good on Kessler there, man. I thought that was great. I, I watched that, and I was laughing, especially when he started you know, pretending he was turtling after the fight. Um, some people on Twitter were commenting about how Kessler shouldn't be swinging when he's, when, uh, Johansson was quote unquote down. Um, what you got to understand is this is a, a fight and a matchup. These guys hate each other. Um, yeah. Johansson runs his mouth off the ice, on the ice to Kessler, I'm sure. And Kessler's no angel. He, I'm sure, has said a number of inappropriate, uh, and expletive things over to, to Johansson his way on the ice. Um, but Johansson has, has been very vocal in, um, in how much he hates him. And, you know, he kind of gives Kessler a shot off the faceoff, and then Kessler takes care of business, and Johansson's a bigger guy. So to see him turtle like that is kind of funny. And I, I got to hand it to Kessler there. That was, that was probably the best highlight before we get into the third period. Yeah, and that one was kind of uh, interesting because it kind of looked like Kessler didn't have – anything to really want to do with that fight. And I don't want to get too in-depth of breaking down this fight for about 10 minutes. But it just kind of seemed like he didn't really want have to have anything to do with it. He wasn't really ready for it. It's really Johansson who jumps him. And we were talking about earlier how there was kind of a little bit of stuff happening in the first period with Manson and Getzlaff bumping into Johansson. And this seemed like it was kind of boiling for a while up until this point. But uh, I digress. We move into the third period. The Ducks are down 3 nothing. And uh, it's looking bleak at this point. I feel like most people didn't expect the Ducks to come back. You know, they've been playing well lately, but it, the way Nashville's playing and the, the type of team they are, there's not many teams who are going to come back down 3 nothing against them in the third period and win. But the Ducks gave it a go. I mean, they started a bit better at the beginning of the third. They had they outshot them 5-0 and uh, in the first four minutes. And then they get the first goal as well. So Arvison hits the post, so the Ducks get a little bit of a break. And Getzlaff takes it the other way, feeds Perry, who sends what I think is probably one of his better assists this season, a perfect slot pass to who else but Ricard Raquel for just a beautiful goal. And he continues to score. Ricky Racks, baby, lighting yeah. it up, staying on fire. But, I mean, that pass by Getzlaff, mm-hmm. he looks like he's going to shoot, but, I mean, everyone should know better. He's he's not going to. That's not his game. I mean, He's not the guy that uh, that's going to be trying to wire the puck up. He's look always looking for that open man, and boy, did he find the right guy there. I mean, Raquel was just a beautiful, you know, a beautiful shot. But I mean, it was all Getzlaff there. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was all Getzlaff and Perry on, on that play. And it's nice to see that line continuing to play well. Obviously, Raquel extending his goal streak, getting within one of another th- of number thirty on the season. And from there on, there was a lot of pressure by Anaheim. 
they had a, a, a extended period of time against Nashville's fourth line uh, in the offensive zone. And then Ellis goes off for hooking, uh, but of course the, the, the uh, play doesn't really continue from there. There wasn't much going on the power play. Uh, Rene stops Cogliano on a point blank shot, and we're thinking from there uh, this is you know pretty much it. The Ducks are going to have to make something special happen now if they're going to make a comeback. And it started looking upwards. I, I mean, Getzlaff wins a puck battle, throws a, another terrific pass to, to who else but Ricardo Raquel in front, and he gets number thirty. He gets number thirty in this game, back to back thirty goal seasons for Ricardo Raquel. One of the best contracts in the league, um, yeah, right? Be. I mean, talk about a steal there for Bob Murray. Let me correct myself. I meant Perry who made the slap pass. I kept saying Gasloff, and I was like, "Wait a <laughs> minute, no, I had, to, I had it mixed up. I blew that." But yeah. talking about talking about the second the second play there, Raquel. I mean, what can you say about this guy? That just this the tear he's on right now is incredible. Uh, and then back to back thirty goal seasons, he's almost at sixty points. He's on fire, man, and it's just really, really great to see that uh, the Ducks look like they finally have that top line solidified. And, hey, they didn't have to go out and get a left winger like every, me and everyone else and their mothers have all barked at Bob Murray to go out and do. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's just been on fire, and it was looking like the Ducks were going to make a comeback, do the impossible, take it in overtime, grab a point from Nashville. But, you know, they, they, they got caught cheating a bit. They had to pressure Fowler uh, pinches a little bit too high, and uh, Forsberg and Arvidsson end up getting a two-on-one. Ah, yeah, I know. I nobody nobody wants to hear this, but Forsberg makes a great pass. Arvidsson has an open net, and and that's game pretty much after that. And and disappointing because that was actually a, a really nice attempt at a comeback by the Ducks. For once, they didn't get caved in in the third period. They actually did the caving in against Nashville, and and it's unfortunate because it was a good effort to try and get back in this game. No, it was, and it's it's it really sucks that it was all for not there. I was on my way home, and I was just sitting there, and they scored, and it was 3-1, and they scored, and it was 3-2, and I was like, okay, I'm almost home. If they can get this to overtime, <laughs> there's, a, there's a chance that I'll be able to catch OT on TV, and then you know you and I can go live right away because I was, I was tracking the game the whole time on my phone when I was at the rink, and then uh, I listened to it on the way back. I was just praying for the different outcome, but obviously we all know that that is not what happened. Um, and it was strange. It was a flip-flop game for the Ducks. Usually they recently have been sitting back in the third period and not taking chances and then, you know, holding on for dear life to a lead. So, I mean, that just goes on for me to ask you, uh, Eddie, is this something that is – it, is it a coaching issue with Anaheim? Or is it what we talked about before, like a, lead, like a league-wide yeah. issue? When you have a lead, you sit back. You have a lead and you sit back and then let the other team pour it on. I just – I don't know. I think – I it's hard to say, but I, I yeah. kind of feel like it's all over the place there. But it's disappointing to see the Ducks can just turn it on one game and not have it the other games prior. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a mix of both, and I know it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I, I think the Ducks do have an issue with it, but it is a league-wide issue, like you said. There, there's a lot of teams who get a lead going into the third period, especially when you're up 3 nothing. I mean, this was a carbon copy of the game against Washington going into the third period, just flipping the script. I mean, the Preds were up 3 nothing. They were playing a pretty solid game, but not really an, an exciting game. It was more of a boring 3 nothing win, just like the Ducks had over the Caps. And then you go into the third period, that's where it gets a little bit different. But the Ducks are the ones putting on the pressure. And, and yeah, I, I think a lot of teams sit back in the third period. It's nice to see that the Ducks kind of, like you said, flipped the script and were able to put on the pressure in the third when they were down. 
But it, it just when you go in and you're down three nothing, especially against this team who had won nine in a row, you can't make it that difficult for yourself. Uh, I mean, against any team, not not just Nashville, you can't go into the third period down three nothing and hope that you're going to make a miraculous comeback. We've seen the Ducks do it before, but and they came close. But when you get to having to get that last goal, you know, you open up a lot of opportunities, and, and that's where Forsberg and Arvison made them pay. And, and it's unfortunate because they, they end up out shooting Nashville in this game as well, thirty-three to twenty-eight, just because they outshot them eighteen to seven in the third. So I like the effort for the final twenty, but the the first forty was was not enough for them. No, they you can't wait around that long. I think even Raquel said in the post game that uh, he said we sat back on our heels a bit. And I mean, that's, I guess you could say that, but I mean, you got to give Nashville the credit as much as I don't want to. They're a great team. And, and the Ducks just found a way, I guess, to push through in that third. And and when I say the Ducks, I mean, it really was just that top line. You yeah. know, Raquel, Gatsloff, and Perry, the ones that are the ones that are converting here. That second scoring line, I guess you could call it, with, um, with Richie, Henrique, and Kasha really needs to start wake up and, and wake up in these kinds of situations and games. The Ducks are going to need it uh, for the playoff here, for the playoffs here when they get in, because I, I feel like they're in that mode where they're going to get in now. But they really need some secondary scoring, and that might have helped out in this game. Yeah, for sure. And, and they really got dominated by Hartman, Turris, and Smith. And that was, I guess, a makeshift line for the Predators because this was Turris' first game back after the healthy scratch. Uh, and yeah, they didn't really get anything going. This is about the third or fourth game straight that uh, the offense kind of dried up for that line. Obviously, like we said, the you know Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel have picked up the slack, which is what we expect from them. But it's disappointing because we kind of thought that this line was trending upwards. They got put together, good things were happening, and then all of a sudden, they kind of just fell off the face of the earth. They just disappeared without any trends of slowing down. They were hot, and then they're not. And it doesn't mean they can't get back there again, but I think... Uh, if the Ducks are going to have continued success, it looks like Raquel Perry and Getzlaff are here to stay, and they're going to continue playing well. But they're going to need another line to step up because we were talking about how Kessler, Silverberg, and Cogliano were playing well, and they didn't do that great in this game either. It really was just the first line that got things going, and that's not going to be enough, especially when you're playing really deep teams like Nashville. No, it's true. they got to find a way to wake those guys up. Um, and even that Kessler, Silverberg, and uh, Cogliano line, yeah, they've played a lot better recently. But we just got to get it. We got to get that stuff uh, moving along here for the Ducks to have some, some success. But let's go ahead and put a bow on this game. I don't want to talk about a loss and dig too much deeper unless you have some <laughs> more things you want to add in there. It's uh, a painful one. As yeah. badly as I wanted to beat Ryan Johansson. Um, you know, it's weird. I didn't hate that guy until he, be- he became a predator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No well, until the playoff series. Even when he became a predator, I was like, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. And then the Ducks, you see two playoff series against him in a heartbreaking loss against Nashville in the Western Conference Final, and you learn to hate players on that team. I'm sure eventually if the Ducks end up playing Nashville again, I'll learn to hate P.K. Subban. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't hate Nashville. I actually liked Nashville as a team and the way they were built, and I'm still impressed of the way they are built, but now you kind of just learn to hate them because you've played them in some pretty tough series and lost. Uh, and I just I, I think the, the same goes for national fans with the Ducks. But there's there's a lot of reasons to hate the Ducks when you've got Perry and Kessler in your team. Oh, absolutely. So I, I get it going that way. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I didn't mind Ryan Johansson until the whole thing went down with him and Kessler. And at the same time, though, it's it, you got I always got to you know point it out. It's gamesmanship. I mean, yeah. you're you're going to try to talk trash and get under someone else's skin. That's just the way of sports. And 
and the way that you market things and market your team and bring a spotlight, you know, to where you are at to promote. So I don't mind any of it at all. I mean, and when I say I hate, it's just as like, I don't want them to win when they're playing against the Ducks. But you got, I mean, I've already praised this team um, and I don't want to do it anymore. I mean, I would love to have Johansson on the Ducks. If that says anything, that would really help out there down the middle uh, yeah. with our aging centers, right? Would, I mean, I don't hate him in that sense, but God, I don't want him to win. And I love when he gets beat up by Ryan Kessler. So uh, Ducks are not able to take down the Preds. They lose this one four to two. Nashville keeps up their 10-game winning streak or gets their 10-game winning streak as they move on. The Ducks have to look ahead to tomorrow night in Dallas, which is going to be another tough go. But uh, let's get to some interesting post-game stuff that we have set up around here. Uh, you were you were pointed out to me a tweet by uh, by Cole Anderson earlier about Gibson for the Vesna. We talked a little bit about this la- uh, last game. Yeah, and uh, he had tweeted back me saying, you know, the Vesna discussion is, is pretty much renamed Vasilevsky, but uh, Gibson has some numbers that puts him in that company, and he was saying, you know, maybe Gibson more for MVP. Other than uh, than the Vesna, and, and you know, I, I find it hard to disagree with that as well because uh, he's, for the uh, heart. Well, f- uh, he yeah, he said MVP. I'm assuming he meant heart. It's a tough go when you've got guys like Taylor Hall, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon to fight with. I think that's just saying he he had would have more of a chance of winning that than winning the Vesna. Which I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I, I think the, at least the numbers that he was showing on there as well that maybe it makes the case more for the Vesna because they were pretty close to what Rene has. They were above what Vasilevsky is because Vasilevsky is actually trending a little bit downwards. Not to say he's playing bad, but he's not at the same level he was in midseason when the the, the Hawk Raiders had him as the favorite for the Vesna. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it just kind of reinforced our discussion. And, you know, we went pretty far in depth on our second show about uh, why Gibson should be in the discussion for Vesna. So if you haven't heard that, head back to that one and check it out. It's not that old. It's only a couple games old. I'm, I'm used to saying, checking a couple shows ago, and it's like two weeks old because of the Ducks <laughs> Bucks. But, but, yeah, so check back on that one if you want to hear the whole discussion about uh, Gibson for the Vesna. We talked about that for about 15, 20 minutes, so there's a lot of content in there. But I think it just adds tour discussion so if you haven't seen it check out cole anderson on twitter he tweeted out i believe it was a day or two ago uh the, the stats that put gibson up in the discussion with renee so it's pretty interesting to kind of reinforce the opinion that we had yeah that was was that uh, around the same time where he retweeted the money puck yeah around yeah around the same time and, and okay. there's a lot of things that kind of put him up in that discussion but you don't hear about it no and, and you and i talked about the wins when it comes to gibson and how he doesn't have those but i mean his game, his games played are right up there. He's maybe yeah. he's he's uh, two behind Quick. He's right there with Pecorine. He's he's ahead of Mike Smith. He's six behind Vasilevsky, and five behind Bobrovsky as of yesterday. Yeah. So, or yeah, yesterday or earlier this morning rather. Um, so he's got those those numbers, but it's just, I mean, the case for the heart. I've got to ask you a question: How many goalies in NHL history do you think have won the Hart Trophy? Man. I, I can't remember. I can name if, two that did I Carey know. Price win when he won all those yes. awards. Okay, so that's that's the last one I remember. I feel like at one point, one of either Hasek, Wall, or Brodeur had to have won it. I'm leaning a little bit more towards Hasek. I was gonna say Wall, but I think Hasek. So I would say two in the time that uh, it, Hasek and and Wall were 
were at their prime. I mean, you were just I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick on you cuz you were a baby back then, but uh <laughs> the Dominator did win two and he won them back to back hard trophies, 96, 97, 97, 98 with Buffalo. And then Buffalo, yep. And then Jose Theodore, Montreal Canadian, 2001, 2002. Wow. And then Carey Price, 2014, 2015. Jacques Plante, 1961 to 62 season. And then three guys who I've never heard of, Al Rollins, Chuck Rayner, and Roy Warders, all the way back in the 1928, 29 season. So you got eight None? goalies. None Not even eight goalies. Wah or Brodeur? None for Wah. Wow. No, no Wah, no Brodeur. Seven goalies have won the Hart Trophy, and Dominic Hasek is the only one to have two. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's a discussion, and we're not going to get into it because we've been talking forever. No, no, the, no, uh, no. I understand. Who's the, the best goaltender? So easily, man. Yeah, like yeah, who's the best goaltender yeah. of all time? I tend to. That's, lean... a, that's a conversation for the off season because yeah. I've done that before with uh, on my other show, and that's that's a fun combo, man. Yeah. I love doing that. Maybe now, we could even do fair. like top five goalies of Ducks history. Maybe yeah. do that in the off season. That'd yeah. be fun. To be fair, I haven't seen a lot of Hasek. And Wah, seen a decent amount of, of Martin Brodeur, so I can't really add a ton to the discussion without research. But just looking, all right, at, everybody like, listening right now to the show, <laughs> go on to Twitter, tag Eddie or, or send Eddie Van Jones a bunch of clips of Dominic Hasek playing hockey, playing well, and carrying I've that seen Buffalo Sabres enough team. Research into Dominic Hasek that I think, and and I actually did a project on this before. Oh, that's where, amazing. Where he is, uh, <laughs> yeah, where. He is. He was statistically in the in the data that I ran was was better than Juan Brodeur, not by a ton, but based on the the, the data we collected, he was number one. And I'm not surprised. I, I mean, he was dominant when he was playing at his best. Uh, and the greatest okay. thing about that, he was he was unorthodox, which was uh, which is a, the unique thing about it all. The second the the, uh, the second half of his back to back heart winning seasons. He had 33 wins, 23 losses, and 13 ties. Nothing that like pops out at you is like insane numbers, right? Yeah. This is the late 90s. 2.09 goals against average and a 9.32 save percentage. And I'll shut up about Dominator. I promise we can move on back to Duck stuff, guys. I apologize. I just want Eddie to guess what his save percentage was that year. I feel like it's absurdly high, so I'm going to say like 935. Oh, I just said it. I said it 932. Sorry, how many shutouts do you think he had that year? Oh, shutout. Okay, 10. <laughs> That's probably... 13 freaking <laughs> shutouts, man. I thought 10 would be high. Okay. <laughs> he had 13 Jeez. back then. He was dominant. So that's the dominator, and that's why he deserves the heart. It's very nice of Cole Anderson to say that that's a better argument for Gibby, but I just – it's so few and far between end up yeah. getting that. It's it's incredible that he can be put in that discussion. Um, there's a really cool poll I want to get to in a minute, but I know we talked about it a little bit, but do you have any more that you want to say about uh, about Ricard Raquel and his streak? I kind of wanted to jump into his contract real quick and, and uh, do some comparables. Do you have uh, Cap Friendly up? You want me to pop that up? Yeah, pop it up because I believe... I'm going to pop that up. I don't want to be wrong <laughs> when I bring up his contract. I feel like I know what it is in my head, but I, I could be wrong. But I'll talk a bit about his streak because it is impressive. And, you know, we talked about Line A in the last show and how his goal-storing streak is impressive as well. But So Raquel now in his last five games has eight goals, which is insane 
the way he's been playing. He's now up to 30, which is back-to-back 30-goal seasons. He's Unless he slumps for the rest of the season, he's going to break his career high, which was 33 put, set up last year. He's already had a career high in points, now with 59, or sorry, uh, 58 with the two goals tonight. I mean, he just keeps getting better. And uh, I want to I wanna believe he can get even better next season, but it's going to be hard to keep improving and improving on this. I, I mean, we say every season it's a surprise that he keeps getting better and better and he keeps wowing and just getting up to that next level. But if he say if he hits 35 to, I don't think he can hit 40, but you never know with the way he's playing right now and gets around 60 to 70 points, it's going to be hard to top that. And he's gotten better every season since he first started with the Ducks. I would love it for him to get to top a season like that, but there's nothing wrong with him consistently being a 30-goal scorer and a guy who can get 65, 70 points. I mean, that's an elite-level talent and definitely not what we expected when the Ducks first drafted Ricardo Kell 30th overall. Not at all. And the, the, the great thing for us Ducks fans is we have four more years of this contract. Yeah. He signed a six-year deal. There's still four left. Takes him into the beginning of his UFA status, which is great for Anaheim. His cap hit, Eddie, is $3.8 million for a 30-goal score. Yeah. That's, that's just – I don't know how Bob Murray pulled that off, but he certainly stole that uh, – you know, whatever dollars he didn't pay him and put him back inside the Ducks piggy bank there to pay future guys because there's not much more you can ask of Ricard Raquel on that, for that price tag. He's got a cap hit that's similar to guys like, I don't know, they got some young guys on here, like guys that, uh, like Victor Rask, right? He doesn't have 30 goals. Yeah. Brendan Gallagher, he doesn't have 30 goals. Andrew Shaw, no. Trocheck, good player. That's, yeah, Henry. that's arguable right there before we like, yeah. blow Trocheck past them. Trocheck sense. scored, at, I think it's 26 of the season. He's sitting around the same amount of points as Raquel. I think that's a pretty good comparable on what, when you have steals and best contracts, around what Raquel's making. Those are two guys that are on unbelievably cheap contracts. And he's about a million dollars more than Raquel. A little, uh, just a little under a million dollars more a year. But still, yeah, I mean, still, Vincent yeah. Trocek's a great player there in Florida, so that's a great job there um, to sign him away like that too. But how about Anders Lee? Is he having, He's having just a wild year this year, right? Yeah, Over and he's, in, like, on he's the really island. underrated too because – is think, he or is he just living on Tavares? Okay, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to dive into it now. We're going off track, but I believe this is his <laughs> second or third. I think this is his second or third thirty goal season. His second, so he had thirty four last year, thirty one this year. Okay, okay. I feel like he's a bit underrated. And I get it. There's a Tavares factor. I remember when Matt Molson was playing with Tavares, and he was one of the best, the better players. Yeah, National Hockey League at that point because he was playing with John Tavares and now he's playing I think with the Kings AHL affiliate or he's somewhere in the AHL. So yeah, I don't I I don't want to hype him up too much and I feel like it's impressive no matter what. Even it doesn't matter who you're playing with if you can get 30 goals because I mean Patrick Maroon played with Ryan Getzlaff and he didn't get 30 goals. And there's a lot no, of guys who played good players. He, Patrick Maroon played with Connor McDavid and didn't get 30 goals. And I'm not saying he he's a close. similar player. To Anders Lee, but at some point there's still some skill there and there's still some underrated talent. No, for sure. I just wanted to point out the guys that were most closely related uh, yeah. contract-wise to Ricard Raquel, Victor Rasper, and Gallagher, uh, Andrew Shaw, and uh, Victor Arvids is a good player for Nashville, but those those guys were the closest there. Nick Bukestad is another one who's also a talented young guy. Um, but Ricard Raquel putting up 30 goals, just unbelievable for Anaheim there. 
Um, you got to love his play. And um, I think I want to hop into that NHL PA player poll. How about you? Yeah, I'm biting my tongue. I kind of want to just segue, jump into that. I'm biting my tongue to not go on to a tangent about how impressed I am with the Florida Panthers. But <laughs> we'll, uh, <laughs> well, they're on a wild run right now, too. That's why. It's, it's yeah. fun to talk about. They're on a wild well, run. I, I love Alexander Barkov, but that's as far as you want to get with that. That's for... That's for another time, so we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, I, of course. I briefly looked at this NHLPA players' poll. I know you looked at it in depth, so I think we, we can have a little bit of discussion about what went on with that. Yeah, so for those of you guys who don't know, the NHLPA puts out a player poll every year where they ask a bunch of the, of the guys in the league. Um, and this one they asked, it says over 500 players took part in the poll. Uh, 20 hockey-related questions during the annual uh, NHLPA meetings between the preseason and early January of this year, 2018. And so the players weighed in and just on some basic questions. And some of them kind of popped up as funny. You're going to get some of these. But if you guys don't you know, want to know what I'm talking about, all you got to do is type in NHLPA player poll. And it's like the first thing that pops up in Google for 2017-2018. So I'm going to go ahead and fire off the first question here. Just have a little bit of fun. Uh, after a loss, I mean, why not? Let's go ahead and uh, put Eddie on the spot. So the first one, Eddie, is uh, players were asked, who is the league's fastest skater? And I know who you're going to say yeah. for number one, so I want your answer for number two. Uh, well, I mean... You, go ahead and give number one. Go ahead. Well, I, number one has to be Connor McDavid because I think that's just consensus. Number two is is interesting because I would personally say Matt Barzell. But I feel like the rest of the league might not have seen enough of him to put him up there. So I'm going to say, oh, this is tough. I'm not, I don't want to sit on this forever, but I, I'm just going to say Dylan Larkin. Dylan Larkin was the fourth. Okay. Michael Grabner was okay, number well, that's two. Not- that's not too bad. Not, not, not too far-fetched. Connor yeah. McDavid got 81% of the votes. Grabner got 3.6 of the votes. So it shows you 3.6% was the second highest percentage <laughs> to McDavid getting 81%. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, no Nick Letty was was uh, was third, ahead of Dylan Larkin. And they then really... Chris, Ryder, Chris Kreider was fifth. Nick Letty is the fastest defenseman in the NHL, according to the player poll. I feel like that is... I mean, I feel like most people put Connor McDavid, like you said, and then there was like a, a slew of people, maybe from the Islanders themselves, or like a team that faces the Islanders enough to see Nick Letty that they rated him. I don't think he's slow, but I definitely don't think he's the fastest defenseman in the National Hockey League. So no, and I just I was surprised I saw a defender on there over guys like really you, they did not watch uh, the skills competition. Yeah. Like, did they not see who went for the fastest skater? Anyway, let's let's get on over to the next question for goaltending. Again, for those of you who missed part of the show, you're tuning in right now. I'm going through with Eddie, the NHLPA player poll. We're having some fun because we didn't want to dwell on a Ducks loss tonight. So I'm going to ask you, Eddie. The skaters were asked, not goalies, just the skaters, which goalie is the most difficult to score on in the NHL today? See, I have an answer, but... I'm like put off by the play this season, but I feel go like, with your gut. I feel like people, based on the entire career, would pick Carey Price as number one. He was number one, forty-one percent. Who do you think's yeah. number two? This is interesting because this opens an entire discussion into goaltenders after Carey Price, and I, I think 
uh, I got to think of like recency and who who's been doing well lately. I kind of want to. It wasn't say, John Gibson. No, <laughs> I, I want to say Sergey Rubrovsky. So Bob was number four. Jonathan Quick was number two at twelve point one percent. Debatable. Debatable. Uh, <laughs> we can hop on that question, or uh, we can talk about Jonathan Quick. And I don't, I don't want to go on a, on a bashing rant, but I've been known to yeah. not like him um, or his style of play or his overratedness, in my opinion. But we can hop into that on a different day. Mm-hmm. So Kerry Price, forty-one percent. Jonathan Quick, twelve point one percent. Pekarene, nine point three. Bobrovsky, eight point two. Braden Holtby, at five percent. And then others were rated amongst different percentages around 24% or so is the rest of them. So let's go to another question here. Who is the most difficult player to play against? Uh, player, right? So does this include yep. – okay. Um, well, I feel like I want to say Sidney Crosby because I feel like people have played him Damn, a lot you're more. good. Is it? I, it's probably got to be close with – McDavid as well. Oh, you got number one and number two. Well, it makes yeah. sense, right? Crosby yeah. been in the league 10 years. A lot of guys have had plenty of time to see him win everything under the sun. Uh, so, yeah, top two guys, Crosby, McDavid, and then Kane, and then and then Shea Weber. And then, you know what? You got to answer Andre Kopitar. <laughs> yeah, Weber hasn't yeah. played. They think they shut him down, right? Kopitar was on there? Kopitar was fifth. I could, I could see that. I mean, he's a big, right. imposing guy, but I feel like Getzlaff getting slighted a bit because I feel like he – I mean, I'm being a little bit of a homer, but I feel like he's probably just seeing him enough. Got to be a tough guy to play against. No, 100%. Um, let's, I'm going to kind of try to buzz through these kind of quickly because there's quite a few of them. I don't want to stick on this too long. But uh, players were asked, who's the toughest player in the NHL? Toughest as in like – like fighting, they like, just said toughest. They toughest. didn't say well, yeah, so anything about toughest like... to play against. So toughest. Um, this this is not trying to have a pun, but this is probably a, t- a tough question because there's a lot of tough guys. Um, I would feel like it'd be a well liked tough guy because nobody's gonna vote for a guy everybody hates. Um, I'll go with Tom Wilson, but I don't think it's number one. He didn't make any of the top five. In fact, Ryan Reeves got the okay, lion's share of the vote yeah. at 44.7%, man. That's fair. I feel like I've, I forgot about him, but, I, I I mean, he's a tough guy. I don't know if he's the toughest. And he's a funny guy. Remember when he pranked Phil Castellano? Yeah, he's a Pittsburgh? well-liked yeah. guy. Like I said, like nobody's going to pick a tough guy everybody hates. And he's a well-liked right. guy, so he's going to make the list. Sure. So he's number one. Lucic's number two. Chara. Michael Haley and Matt Martin round out the top five. Let's get on to the most underrated player. Who's your pick for underrated? Oh, I'm going to pick my boy Alexander Barkov because I believe it. He's the most underrated player in the National Hockey League. Sasha Barkov comes in at number four on this list. Nicholas Backstrom comes in at number one. No. Jaden Schwartz, number two. Nikita Kucherov, number three. And Ryan O'Reilly, who I think is underrated, comes in at number five. Okay, but Nikita Kucherov, the <laughs> the leading point getter in the National Hockey League, is apparently underrated. Oh, come on. He got he got 6.2% of 385 votes. It wasn't yeah, like so there's the a lot of guys out there. But <laughs> I, you know, I can maybe make a case for Backstrom. I feel like Jaden Schwartz is a little bit underrated, but... Any day of the week. I remember the last time I saw a poll like this. This was 
dating back a while, but Louis Erickson was the guy who was like always picked for most underrated when he was with Dallas because well, he, I mean he was he was excellent with Dallas and then he moved on and and kind of has disappeared. We went to Boston and, and Vancouver and he disappeared. But in my opinion, Barkov has to be the most underrated player in in the NHL. And I I I'm a little bit happy a bit because I get to back get back to my Florida discussion, but. He's got, in my opinion, he's got to be the Selkie winner this year as well. And of course, I mean, we've talked about Kessler and been disappointed before. It almost seems like it's always Bergeron or Kopitar is going to win. And I feel like he's going to get snubbed. But he's been excellent lately and for the entire season. He plays the most minutes out of any forward in the National Hockey League. And he plays in all situations for a team. That is on a roll. I I don't want to talk about Barkov forever, but I could. But I feel like he's he's definitely underrated. <laughs> this next question <laughs> made me laugh the most. Um, who's the best role model? Such a sweet question to ask NHL players about their peers. My God. Who do you think they said? In a, in a league full of robotic answers, who do you think uh, was picked number one? Let me guess. It's going to be Sid the Kid because oh yeah, who else? <laughs> who else is going to be? And I guarantee you, let me guess, Jonathan Taves is probably number two, right? Oh, he is. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Sid and Taves, one and two. <laughs> what a surprise. The, the two quote-unquote best leaders in the National Hockey League are one and two. I, I don't even know who else would fill that list, but I think it was obvious that it would be, be Crosby and Bergevin, uh Weber, and Patrick Marlowe round out that five. Weber and Marlowe are interesting, but yeah, I could see Taves, Sid, and Bergeron being one, two, three. Here's a goodie. Who do you start your franchise with? Connor McDavid, any day of the week. 48%, seven, number two, Sidney Crosby, three, Austin Matthews is only 5% of the votes. Jonathan Taves actually cracks that somehow. <sighs> uh, and then the Taves I think he's hype is still real. Personally. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then Eric Carlson rounds up the top five. Well, okay. Fair. Which, def- which defenseman is the most difficult to play against? You and, you and me talked about Carlson the other day, but I feel like our opinion isn't shared across the entire National Hockey League. I feel like everybody knows he's a good defenseman, but toughest to play against. Um I'm I'm thinking it's probably Drew Doughty because I, I just I feel like that's the go to answer when you're talking about tough guys no, to play. Oh Drew it's Doughty a, and Eric Carlson. You had him flip flopped. Carlson got number uh, one, Doughty got number two. Fair. I believe Carlson deserves to be number one. I just didn't think that they would actually put him there, to be honest. I, I mean, I think he gets harped on a lot that he's not great defensively because he's playing on such a bad team in Ottawa. And he's his. If any, it's, it's surprising to think that Eric Carlson's underrated, but his defensive ability is underrated because everybody thinks he's just a horrible defender and he can only contribute on offense. But he's actually one of the better defenders in the National Hockey League too. No, I agree. He rounds out the top five, Shea Weber, Brent Burns, and Victor Hedman. Those are all great guys. Those are all great picks, except yeah. for Weber. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's the top one of the top five <laughs> no. best defensemen in the NHL. Uh, let's see. Let me kind of cherry-pick some of these just because I don't want to drag this out way too long. Yeah. Um, this is a goodie. Are you ready for this? Mm. Who is <laughs> – these are so <laughs> arbitrary. Who's the best team player? What? Ah <laughs> oh, man, this is probably a Sid it's answer like, again, isn't it? Like, it is Sid. Yeah. Can you guess number two, please? Taves. 
<laughs> it is Sid and Tage, yeah. number one and number two team leaders, and they're also the best team <laughs> players. Um, and this they is the ask obvious the entire one. Penguins and Blackhawks team, and then everybody from <laughs> Team Canada. Like that's, I'm like that has to be their fan base ask. is just picked for them. Yeah, come on, <laughs> no Ducks on any of this. No what Ducks, a surprise. not a single one. Who's yeah, voting for not the a Ducks other one. than players on the Ducks? That's like, true, right? Everyone hates Anaheim. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, if your team had to win one game, who was the number one player any position you would want on your team? Um, I feel like this is another Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby one. I, I'm yeah, I'm going on it is, and I'm gonna say Connor McDavid. But Crosby by a ah. landslide, forty three percent. McDavid the second highest at fifteen percent. <sighs> wow, Carey Price. Guys. Made the list though the only goalie nine point seven percent Kane and then Eric Carlson. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised more goalies didn't make the list because I don't think Kane wins you a game to be honest. I don't think having not Kane, uh, maybe I mean come on he had the Stanley Cup winning goal against Philly fair but like I think you can get by with not having. You know, I don't think there's any elite winger, and and I know there's time. I mean, Ovechkin can win you a game. Oh yeah. come on! You're gonna get but, in this argument with me now. We can't no. do this now. I'm, I feel I'm like, the defender of the wings. <laughs> I'm all for having a, a great winger, but I feel like having an elite number one center or a goaltender is a better option if you had to pick somebody to win you a no, game. No, I know. But I'm to not win a game, say, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. Unless, all right. All right, all right, I mean, you have to, if you're going to go to the lead of the elite, then then I feel like you can pick, you can cherry pick a couple wingers like Ovechkin. Yeah, I'm sure Cooch could win it. Um, yeah, I'm sure Raquel even, could win you a game. Even um, with, I think they can, but I mean, if you're picking out of the top, I feel, I feel like even I would be have a little bit. Of, like, I mean, Cooch has done everything to prove himself, but I think I'm just not there where I'd pick him over like a Connor McDavid or an Ovechkin or. Like Carey Price or Eric Carlson, I, I like he's up there, but I don't know yet, uh, and I'm probably like one of few who wouldn't put him in that discussion. And maybe I mean this talk. I guess I had just said how he's not underrated. Now I'm talking about basically proving my point wrong. How <laughs> he could actually be underrated, but I just don't know if he's up in that discussion yet. I understand. Let's. I want to get to something that's kind of funny. The players talked about. Um, they were asked. Which quality do you most appreciate in a teammate? We think the number one was. What kind of questions are they asking? These are these are perfect questions. They're very NHL, very NHL questions. Grit, grit, <laughs> <laughs> work ethic. So that was number Fair, one. Close enough. And then the other funny question they asked is, do you like the way points are currently awarded for a win or a loss in the NHL regular season? Seventy-seven point seven percent of four hundred and twelve players asked said they did like the current point system. Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought it would the other way. No, apparently, like they like the way that works. I don't understand, but apparently, all right. Well, whatever. Let's see. Let's get through a couple more, and then we'll call it quits on this. Um, let me scroll through here. What's another got, funny at, one? At this point, this is half the show because we're just going to. It is half to, the show. I'm if sorry. Just I had in, to bring it up. We wanted to get through the national breakdown as quick as possible. Should we spend about a half an hour on that because it's it's very depressing. It's very fresh. And we have now spent the better part of the last 20 minutes talking about the NHLPA pool. So if you haven't looked it up, if you're tuning in live later on than, than usual, then go look it up. You can hear this discussion again tomorrow. But yeah, that that's essentially what we're 
we've spent the last we're having part fun. of the show. Had to, yeah. had to cheer ourselves up. We're cheering ourselves up. We're wiping away the tears. We're moving on to next game, and we're having some fun. I got two to wrap it, man. So okay. the Ducks did make a, uh, a question. They did make. They were one of the answers. So I'm going to ask you the question, and then you just tell me where you think they rank. Okay. Which rink has the worst ice? <laughs> uh, it, hmm. I'm going to say f- Florida, the Panthers. Yep, Panthers, followed yeah. by Arizona, followed by Barclays Center in New York, which is surprising to me. Nah, and then, I don't know. I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff about the Islanders even saying there's, like, really crappy ice there, and that's one of the reasons they hate playing there. So I'm actually – I mean, it should be good. but they, That's what I meant. I was care. surprised by that. But I've heard the same thing from Islanders players even said it was bad. Yeah, I, um, I think they just don't care. <laughs> and then Honda Center made it as fourth, which, honestly, I wonder, I wonder why maybe the players who hadn't been there recently, but they really kicked up the uh, – the air conditioning in that in that arena, that arena is actually cold as hell now at Honda Center. You could sit in the 400s and wear a jacket. Um, that they've really really turned down the temp in that building. So maybe they haven't been there yet. And then the last one, um, you're gonna laugh at this, of course, because it's a funny question to ask, and then it's an even more funny answer because it's obvious who they would say. Let's wrap on which team, excluding your own, has the best NHL fans. Is this? I feel like this is a Chicago Blackhawks answer. <laughs> yep, uh, Chicago Blackhawks. I swear to you guys, I have not read this, and <laughs> it just feels like that was the answer. Followed by the Predators at number two, the Canadians at number three, the Maple Leafs at number four, and then hilariously enough, the Winnipeg Jets at number five. That's. I think they should be higher. Because they are they're a rowdy bunch when they get together. I I, I think Nashville probably deserves to be number one. So as much they're as they're so to say that after the, the win or after the loss, but they don't or, have they don't have the winning ways. They don't have the winning ways yet. Yeah, but Chicago's got the, the the three cups. Yeah, we'll see how that fan base holds up after this season and a couple another a couple others like it. Because Winnipeg's been bad for a while. That fan base has always been good. It's gotten better. Nashville. I don't know if they've been there the whole time because I haven't really seen them. I didn't really pay attention as much to their fan base when they were bad. But I think they are got to be, in my opinion, number one. Toronto and Montreal, I think that's kind of a given just because they sell it every night and they're pretty rowdy and they travel well. But Yeah, the Winnipeg Jets, though, the wide out in the playoffs. Yeah. And, yeah I mean... Chicago no one wants to play that. there. It's cold and dark. They have no Wi-Fi. You know, all, those, all those stories <laughs> we heard about Winnipeg. I don't know. Uh, underrated, but hey, Chicago's going to win every time, pretty much. Uh, for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, until things come crashing down. All right, man, let's circle it all the way back to Anaheim. Let's talk some Ducks here for a minute before we decide to wrap the show. The Ducks have Dallas tomorrow in Dallas. Uh, we, unfortunately, were right in our predictions for tonight that the Ducks would take the loss at the hands of the Nashville Predators because they were bound to lose one. Um, I think that's a great opportunity to have a bounce-back game tomorrow in Dallas. Uh, ben Bishop was hurt, so I believe Kari Lettinen is going to be in net, which probably bodes better for Anaheim. Um, Bishop had played really well against the Ducks historically. Granted, they beat him, beat him last game. Um, it'll be nice to see Anaheim have a shot at their backup goaltender, who's not very reliable but having a better season from the last discussion you and I had. 
what do you take on the goaltending situation for Anaheim heading in tomorrow in the second half to back-to-backs? Do we see the Red Hot Gibby or do we see Ryan Miller? I feel like we have to see Ryan Miller just because I don't think they risk playing Gibby back-to-back and for something to go wrong and he gets hurt and then all of a sudden it's Ryan Miller down the stretch. I, I, I mean, it's an important game. It's probably a more important game than this one was, at least in the standings wise, because you're fighting kind of with Na- or with Dallas for that final wild card spot. But I think you, know, you just look at Miller's last start against Dallas; he played well. It's not like he has a bad record against Dallas, and I think you kind of just go with with the backup. It's not like he's struggling either. Like I mean, Miller's played pretty well in his last few starts and, and appearances, so I think you kind of got to go with him. I'd be surprised if they went with Gibby, even though he played well. Even I mean, I was going to say he played well leading up to this game, but he played well in this game. I'm not going to blame him for the goals that happened. I, I mean, he couldn't do much on most of them. It's just some good plays by the Predators. But, yeah, I, I think he kind of got to see Miller. Yeah, no, I think you have to go that way too and then give Gibby the uh, the three nights off and then start him back against uh, St. Louis on Monday. The Ducks don't play any games this uh, Saturday or Sunday, so you and I will have a break uh, from some Ducks hockey, time to recuperate. But uh, we have an exciting game to look forward to tomorrow. The start puck drop is apparently at 530. Today was supposed to be 5 o'clock, but they ended up having a David Poyle award ceremony, so I know the puck – drop was delayed today um but i think we're on time for tomorrow so everyone be ready and uh, we'll be looking forward to having another post game show here tomorrow night and it'll be probably closer to the on time schedule that you guys are used to having it from us as i will not be traveling anywhere and barring eddie from being called into work uh we won't have any delays (laughs) on his end either um go ahead and tell everybody where they can find us bud yeah, so um, anybody listening is probably listening. Well, if, I mean, if you're listening live right now, you're listening on Spreaker. So that's where our main links for the show will be tweeted out. You can find us pretty much anywhere scattered about on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud. We just got accepted onto Google Play. Uh, we're oh, on, we got the email. Yes, we got the email. So we are on Google Play. So if that is your thing, then you can find us on Google Play now. Uh, I believe we got the email earlier today. They said we'd be up on there within 24 hours. I haven't checked yet, but I would assume if we're not on there now, we'll be on there by tomorrow morning when some of you guys will be listening to this. Uh, the main places, though, like I said, uh, you can find us at our Twitter at, at ForeverMightyFM. We tweet out GIFs, uh, GIFs during uh, the, the game. We tweet out the links to the show and everything like that. You can find us on Spreaker. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes. And we'd appreciate it if you guys want to. You can head over there. Give us a rating, a review. It really helps get the show out there. Let people know what we're doing over here and if you guys like the show. So, yeah, I mean, you can find us there. And also, of course, you can find us in collaboration through Ducks and Pucks as well. We've got uh, a lot of things going on there. So so it's always nice to be up with them. Yeah, if you haven't checked out the most recent Ducks and Puck episode, it is up. You guys have that recorded as of yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that new show is going. It's up there um, twice, by the way. If you're looking at Podomatic and you see it, we had an issue uploading it where it uploaded twice. It's the same show, so if you pick one, it's going to be the same thing. Don't worry. Just listen to one. You don't have to listen to it twice. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. It just, it just looks weird being up there twice. So just, just a disclaimer, if you, if you haven't listened to it and you head over to Podomatic and you see it there, that's what happened. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We love you guys. We appreciate all the support. Uh, we realize we're starting this a little late in the, in the season, so uh, any time that we get a chance to go live and do a live show, we appreciate all the, all the participation. We realize today we had some technical difficulties, but we'll be back and ready to rock tomorrow night, and we'll talk to you guys then. Have a great one.